0: I wanted wanted to say thank you to all of you because we we actually turned folks away at the 9 and 11 because of fire laws, uh, capacity issues, and you guys are servants, and one of the reasons why we're doing a Saturday night service is because the folks who volunteer at the church end up working all three services and never get to come in, so we're going to give them a service on Saturday nights, and uh, we're going to follow the the teaching structure uh, out of the anchored um, lexicon. Now, when I get to, I mean, if let's say Rick does a Saturday night and I end up doing the Sunday mornings or vice versa, we might pick the same topic, the two of us, but we're going to have freedom to go where we feel like. So, but we're going to be bound by the text itself. And so um, it'll, be, it'll be a, a real great b- blessing. I also wanted to say in relation, uh, especially folks who are watching online, the one thing I never want to be in control of or in charge of is income the only thing I control is expenditures. I don't control income. I never want to be in a place where I control income. If I'm in control of income, then it's out of guilt and compulsion. That's why we don't pass an offering bag. That's why, you know, that's between you and the Lord. I mean, if the text teaches on it as we're going through it, then we'll teach on it. But I've never asked you for anything. I never will. That's between you and the Lord. And the joy of it is, the one thing I can control is expenses. And, and God usually speaks that way. You know, we're, we're going to tighten it up a little bit this, this month. All right. What are we going to get rid of? Or what? And then sometimes we were in a, a place of, of excess. So the Lord's saying we want to do something else. So we, Micah was busier than a one-legged man in a, no, that's not a good one. A one-arm wallpaper hanger. Uh, he, he just, he's been so busy and, and so is Rick. So we finally got uh, an assistant, Jillian, who's come on staff. She's been helping out. And that's Relieved an enormous amount of uh, burden uh, for for Micah. I don't, I don't know when the guy finds sleep or when Rick does, or even the rest of the staff. So the church has grown what three hundred, four hundred percent in six months, and we haven't added staff. Now we've added staff because otherwise they die, and <laughs> and that that's a result of folks providing. And so the Lord said, "We can do that." So we did, and that's kind of how the Lord speaks to us. So. Uh, it's, as far as I'm concerned, it's never about money. I, I hate money, honestly. I just, I don't even, yeah, it's an irritation. So, and I always never tend to be able to hold on to it. (laughs) Do you have that problem? Or is it just me? I don't know. Hey, uh, before we get into the study, I wanted to share this with you. I did in the first two services. I, I came across this, there's a guy in the congregation, his name's Paul. And he put this together on his own accord. He buys them. It's the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution with the amendments, and and then he put on the inside of it the Gettysburg Address. It, really sweet. And then he did this, which is, it blew me away, because this required a lot of research. He took, so if you take a picture with your iPhone on these little icons, it'll pull up a link to um, the, the Hillsdale College online courses. So you can study the Constitution. It has all the American Legacy series that we've taught. It has uh, David Barton, Constitution of the U.S., it's got elementary, elementary Catechism of the Constitution written in 1828 for uh, use in grade schools. Mayflower Compact uh, Sermon, which was on Veterans Day. So he has all these in there, and it's, I just thought, what a really cool thing. So we're going to feature it on the Vintage McCoy uh, website, and they're free. Uh, I like that word, free, because I'm Scottish, and I like free right now. That's great. All right, so that's it on that stuff. What else was I going to talk about? Uh, that's it. So, uh, if you have a Bible, uh, open up to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. If you have a Bible, open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The folks, I I think we just got Israel doing it this morning. Israel, if you've got a Bible and you need one, Israel, give it to you. Just raise your hand. There's just one guy, so he's going to do the best he can. Hurry up, man. (laughs) Oh, Miss Pam's helping now. She's going to get the rest of you. And if you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to keep that one. Yeah, and you know what's really cool? We've been ordering tons of Bibles. You guys are keeping them and reading them. Well done. Yeah, a person whose Bible's falling apart is a sign that their life usually isn't. And so read your Bible. It's the only thing on this troubled marble that's true. You know that when you're reading that, you're like, oh, that's good. So, read it. And the best version of the Bible, because we have NASB, we have NIV, we have NKJV, we have KJV, we have, I'm going to go on and on, New Living Translation. The best version of the Bible, without exception, and write this down because it's very important, the best version of the Bible is the one you read. (laughs) With the exception of the New World Translation. Yeah, that's, that's troubled, but for the most part, you know, you have, you just read your Bible. Read your Bible. Okay, so uh, this message was birthed out of a conversation that I had with a friend who's gone on to be with the Lord. She was in her 90s, and she was my mentor. Her name was Dr. Alice Krilly. She was the first female to receive a doctorate from the University of Pennsylvania in the 40s. Brilliant woman, photographic memory. I knew her in her 90s and she was a Catholic. She always wanted me to convert to Catholicism. She wanted me to be a priest. She says, I figured out a way you can do it. (laughs) Because I know you're married and you don't want, you know. So you just become an Episcopal priest and then you can transfer over. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, no, Alice, I'm not doing that. There we go, fixed it. Discombobulated. And I, I, and she was precious that way and we would have deep theological discussions And her, she didn't suffer fools kindly, and so she would struggle with me. Um, And she had a two-story house, and I'd go visit her in San Diego. But because she was in her 90s, she uh, didn't get around much. Uh, She had trouble walking. So her world became just the bedroom downstairs. Actually, it wasn't even the bedroom. It was a den, and she'd fold out the couch and sleep there. Um... And the upstairs was no longer used and she would let me go up there and stay if I had to stay the night and my mom lived there for a while before she passed and I remember we would go late into the night with conversations and she would say hmm go upstairs second bedroom on the right bookshelf on the left hand wall third shelf down Fourth book from the left, page 87, third paragraph. Bring that down. No, I'm dead serious. I'd bring it down. It'd be exactly what we were talking about. She goes, there it is. That's what I was referring to. I'm like, are you sure you can't walk? And and I was captivated by her brilliance. And she said... uh, she said one time, she said, Rob, have you ever considered uh, Paul's thorn? Let's go to the slide if we can because it not working. Paul's thorn in the flesh. I'm like, yeah. She goes, what, what do you think it was? I said, well, there's speculation that he could have been blind. Maybe it was malaria, some sort of a sickness. And, and she just said, no, it's not that. I go, what is it, Alice? She said, I'll tell you what it is. I said, what? And she told me, and I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) Right now, but I will later. And I I pondered that this week because on our live stream, I've been uh, contending with something of great concern to me. There is... um, a pastor who's also a doctor. Um, I don't know what his doctorate's in. I don't know where his doctorate's from. And, and I was told that he was invited to come and speak to the faculty at a local Christian school. And so I had been given a clip and I was under the assumption it was speaking at the school, but it wasn't. It was a clip that was actually far more recent. It was five months ago at a racial um, kind of sensitivity reconciliation event at a church in Portland, Oregon. And, you know, there is, there's tension in America right now, and I'm, I'm struggling quite candidly, and I was burdened by his message. I found myself at odds with it, and I brought in three pastors to address what this man said on three consecutive nights, And then I brought in Bill Federer, the historian who on Friday covered it. So we went Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday covering this. And in context, and I've listened to the entirety of the message, the clip you're about to see is what he said and what he believes. And I I take issue with it. And the reason why I take issue with it is because all of us in the room, regardless of our immutable traits, all of us in this room are here, I pray. Now, not everyone, because some of you have been invited. You've never been to a church before. You don't know, um, you don't know Christ as your Savior. This is your first time in a church. It's all kind of new to you. I, I understand that. Welcome. Praise the Lord. But for those of us who claim Christ to be our Savior, the one thing we do understand is that we, we have been saved by no, no effort of our own, We're all sinners, and we needed a Savior. We've been separated from God by our sin. And Christ was completely God and completely man, lived on this earth without sin. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And so he was crucified, bled, died, buried, and resurrected, and he overcame the law of sin and death by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Really what he did was he paid the penalty for the transgression of man because the penalty for sin is death and he died in our place. And we recognize that as the great switcheroo. We give him our sin, he gives us eternal life. He takes our sin and cleanses us as white as snow and casts our sin as far as the east is from the west to be remembered no more. And the reason why the scripture says as far as the east is from the west to be remembered no more is because if you leave the North Pole and travel south, when you hit the South Pole, you're traveling north. But if you start traveling east, you never reach west. Your sin is forgotten. God chooses to forget because he's forgiven. And in addition, the Apostle Paul said that we're a new creature in Christ, forgetting what is behind, striving for what is ahead, taking hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of us. And, and, and I've been crucified with Christ. That man who did that is dead. Now I'm a new creature in Christ. And if we have an, an issue with our brother, we go and reconcile with our brother. We leave our offering in there and there go be reconciled. And, and the Lord brings to remembrance those things and we go and re, we resolve those. And we, we endeavor, as the scripture says, to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And the beauty of it is this the most profound and powerful word is, is it says in Ephesians, we've been saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. He did it. We give him our sin. He cleanses us of all unrighteousness. And he says, Freely you've received, now freely give. As you have been forgiven, so forgive one another. And it's a great motivational, inspirational move of the heart of the redeemed to go and extend that forgiveness. And to seek that forgiveness. And that's what motivates the body of Christ. And the beauty of the cross, it, it's, it, it was designed by the Romans as the most painful way to kill someone, slowest form, most painful form of death ever devised. But the ground at the foot of the cross is level. We all come as sinners and we all kneel. We all kneel in the presence of Christ, asking for that same forgiveness. It doesn't matter about our immutable traits, our skin color, our socioeconomic status. It doesn't matter what country we're from. We're all saved by grace through faith. The ground at the foot of the cross is level. It's available to everyone. He's no respecter of persons. He, he, he extends it to all of his children. So that being said... It brings us to a place, of not have to, but get to. We, we want to live together in unity. We want to serve one another. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, be a servant of all. But man has a way of screwing up a really good thing. Amen. I was going to title this message because it was floating in my head. Government doesn't save. Government enslaves. The bigger the government, the smaller the citizen. And if we look to government to be our savior, we're going to find soon that we're not saved, we're enslaved. Fascism or Fauciism, I think, is how I'm trying to... <laughs> we, we want to protect one another, but we're also finding that we're being pitted against one another. We're, we're going after class warfare. I don't fault anyone who wears a mask. I understand that some need it. I get that. But to say because I don't wear a mask, I'm a grandma killer, it just doesn't add up. We have been providing since day one an FM broadcast to the parking lot. And we've also done, ever since the lockdown, every night, a broadcast for those who are shut in. We say if you're 65 and older with comorbidities, you know, this is not probably the safest place for you. But 500 children have drowned in bathtubs in California. How many children have died of COVID? Three. Yet our schools have been shuttered. Our abused have been quarantined with their abusers. Our businesses have been shut down. We've been pitted against one another. We now operate in the context of fear. We're all scared. And now with HR five, This Equality Act is anything but an Equality Act. We're watching as a biological female who is interviewing for Assistant Secretary of Health for the United States of America, biological female who is a doctor, excuse me, a biological male who uh, considers themselves a female, is a doctor who espouses genital mutilation, hormonal treatment for children that are under the age of 18 without parental consent. That's not science. That's just butchery. It's abuse. We see in the scripture that God created the male and female. There's two genders. Always has been. But if you say that, you're a bigot. If you say that, you don't follow the science what's science? (laughs) To, To the cellular level, it's very clear. And yet, this is what we're being fed, and then there's a direct attack on churches. Soon, what I just said will put me in jail if we continue down this road. And as I was contemplating all of this, And thinking about what Alice had shared with me those many years ago. And then the broadcast that I witnessed and then contended against. I understand the government espousing this. I struggle when the church does. You see, it's called CRT, critical race theory. God created the races. Man created racism. Races of the Lord, racism is of the devil. Racism takes on many forms. It's where you take someone's immutable trait or socioeconomic status or country of origin and you have prejudice towards them. That's evil and it's from the pit of hell. And if you do that, you need to repent right now and stop it. But to say that it's systemic and it's visited into culture is also from the pit of hell. To say that America is the most racist nation on the face of the earth, yet more blacks have immigrated to the United States than any country in the world. The most successful immigrants per capita in the United States are Nigerian immigrants. Very successful. But yet, apparently, we're all systemically racist. Now, I know racism exists. But President Obama, when he ran for president, Hillary Clinton was running for office Mitt Romney was running for office, and John McCain was running for office. The Gallup poll stated that 5% of Americans said they would never vote for a black person for president. 17% said they'd never vote for a woman president. 24% said they'd never vote for a Mormon for president. And almost 40% said they'd never vote for a man as old as John McCain. So, of the four candidates, President Obama had the least amount of issue at 5%. But America apparently is systemically racist. And we're watching as our nation's being divided over this issue. And now we're looking at reparations. Reparations, 400, or excuse me, 4 million slaves in 1850. We lost 650,000 Soldiers on a field of battle, which was 2% of the nation's population. So who gets the reparations? Those who lost a loved one fighting for the union, who gave their life, do they get reparations? If you immigrated here and you have a larger melanin content than someone else, do you get reparations, though your family was never a participant in any of this? How do you find out who is connected in that capacity and what are the reparations and why is it visited on people who had nothing to do with it? A nation conceived in liberty and dedicated the proposition that all men are created equal when Reverend King himself said, this is a check that America needs to cash. And he believed the Constitution to be a legitimate document inspired endeavoring to recognize that we are endowed by our creator, not by the government. And that we need to make good on that promise. And so we have the Civil Rights Act, we have the abolition of slavery, we have the child labor laws, we have women's suffrage. We can go on and on, all started by churches and Christians, and watching that America's faults are universal to every other nation on the planet in the history of the world. America's successes are unique. But then we rewrite that history and we come out with a revisionist history and we divide the nation because we no longer share the same history because we have the 1619 Project, which doesn't come from fact. It's absolutely made up. We have original source documentation. We go through all these things, but yet we no longer teach that in school. And now we're watching as the nation is being pitted against one another. Now, I understand that in the world, but why the church? And so you have a pastor with a doctorate educating Christian teachers. And this is his position. Listen, this is his own words. This is Dr. Brian Loritz. Listen to his words. Here, Here it is.
1: If you are a Christian, how are we to think about and navigate critical race theory? Reading the Bible, there's no doubt there are plenty of seasons in the life of Israel and followers of Jesus where there were clear cases of oppressed an oppressor, Israel in bondage to Egypt, Israel in the season of the Babylonian captivity, people of God into Syria, Christianity suffering oppression under Rome. What's more, we see instances of structural or systemic injustice, reparations, and affirmative action. Yes, all in the Bible. It's in there, folks. Hold on, I'll show you. So is God on the side of critical race theory. But on the other hand, we don't see God demonizing oppressors, calling his people to love even their oppressors.
0: I like the way he ended that. But to say that reparations are in the scriptures, is he referring to Exodus? Because that's not reparations of multiple generations. To say systemic racism, to go through all these things as though somehow scripture demands this, and, and I listened to it in his entirety, and his justification for those statements doesn't add up. And I say this because I, I spoke at a church a couple weeks ago, I filled in for Shane Idleman, one of the busiest men I've ever met, and I, I find his name an oxymoron, Shane idleman I mean, he, he's anything but idle. And he was going on sabbatical, and I don't typically fill in, because I like to be here, and I don't want to visit pulpits. I, I like to be with my, my family. But I did for him because he's busy and I want him to take a break. He's taking a sabbatical. And I shared with the congregation, I said, I don't know why Shane invited me because I have this unbelievable gift of preaching a church down to a manageable size. And he giggled. I, I said, no, I'm serious. I, I'll share things that I don't seek to be offensive, but they're true. And you're going to be offended and you you may not want to stick around because you value something more than something else, and you don't want to reason, you don't want to listen, and you, you're going to leave. At which point, some people left. I said, See? And I, and I didn't mean that as an insult. I'm just pointing out that you come up against something that has been ingrained, and you don't want to hear it. And the Bible says, Come, let us reason together. But, but our ego gets affected, and we, we don't want to hear it. And that's a problem. That's a problem. And when I heard Dr. Loritz share this, I was concerned. I'm not surprised that it's in the world, but I'm very concerned that it's in the church. I'm very concerned that it's going, that, that the man who believes this is going to be instructing others. Everything he shared is not Christian, it's Marxist. Now, I'll I'll be happy to discuss that with you, and I'm going to try to cover it today as best I can. But it brings us back to this thorn in the flesh of the Apostle Paul. And so I'm going to teach from the passage that reflects this thorn. You're going to find out what the thorn is and how it relates to the video you just watched. And I pray you'll all be encouraged, challenged, and equipped so what we do here is we stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. So if you have your Bible, 2 Corinthians 12, please stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. I'll also have it up on the screen here. Verse 1, the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth, and he says to the church at Corinth, he said, It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast except in my... Infirmities infirmities, or sicknesses, whether that's physical or mental. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. But I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted Above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities, whether physical or mental, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I have become a fool in boasting. You have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended by you, for in nothing was I behind the most eminent apostles, though I am nothing." Truly, the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. For what is it in which you were inferior to other churches except that I myself was not burdensome to you? Forgive me this wrong. And then, verse 15, and I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Well, the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. I'll explain it momentarily, but let me ask God's blessing on our time. Lord, you promised to lead us into all truth, and Holy Spirit, we'd ask you to do just that. I thank you for all who were in attendance in the hearing of my voice, that they would come to know the great grace of God and God's riches at Christ's expense, that Lord Jesus, you died on that cross in our place and paid that penalty, which we could have never have done, to set us free from the law of sin and death, by the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, that if we believe in our heart and we confess with our tongue Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. No other qualification that does it. And so, Lord, with this message today, would you address the addition to the gospel that need not be added, that which is burdening and plaguing not just the church but the nation? Lord, would you address that yoke when you declare, come unto me, all you are burdened and heavy laden, I'll give you rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden it is light. And yet we see this yoke of bondage being placed upon us. Lord, would you open our eyes and set us free that we would know that truth and that truth would set us free. For where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And so God, please minister to us now, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a seat if you would. The Apostle Paul said, I will come to a vision and revelation of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I don't know, he talks about himself in the third person. He's talking about an event that happened 14 years earlier of the writing of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He said, I was taken up to the third heaven where you you have, you know, celestial, terrestrial, celestial. it's got some Mormon term, but, but you have you, you have the heavens that are just the air itself, and then the heavens, which are the stars. You know, one's the atmosphere, the other's the stars, and then the other is the presence of God. It's the heavenly realm. And he's saying, I was caught up to that third heaven. And while there, words were spoken that I can't even utter. It's like, I don't know how to even speak those words, how you describe to a mortal mind immortality, how you describe to a temporal mind something that is be beyond space and time. I don't even know what words to use. It's, it's groaning's too deep for words. I, I don't even, uh, utterance is, is beyond me. But in the midst of all of this, he's pointing out that of this person I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast except in my infirmities, His infirmities in the Greek word would either be a physical or a mental infirmity, a sickness. He says, but I refrain lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. And he's going in between third person and him personally. And he says, I don't want to elevate myself as though you're going to look at me like I've been taken up into heaven and somehow ascribe to me a deification or sainthood. But in the same regard... I'm weak, and and in my weakness, I want you to know something very special about what God showed me. He says, lest I should be exalted above measure, because I was in this third heaven. God spoke to me. I had an amazing event that happened 14 years ago. God put a thorn in my flesh, and that flesh was given to me, and it was a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. I pleaded with the Lord three times, take it away from me. And all God said to me is, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in your weakness, Paul. And therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities, whether that's physical or emotional or mental, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong." And then he says to the church this, he says, I have become a fool in boasting. You have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended by you, for in nothing was I behind the most eminent apostle. And I want to stop there, eminent apostle. That word bothered him, apostle. He saw all the 12 apostles, they were were revered and honored. He says, and I... In nothing am I behind any of those eminent apostles, though I am nothing. Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. I did everything they did when I was in your presence. And somehow you keep invoking their names, but you leave mine off the list. And I did everything they did. For what is it in which you were inferior to other churches except that I myself was not a burden to you? I never asked you for money. I was a tent maker. I I carried my own weight. Forgive me this wrong. Hyperbole. Exaggeration. And he said, I will gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I'm loved. The more I lay out my life for you, the more you don't love me. I do this because I love you. And he's burdened. He's burdened because not only the church in Corinth that he planted and the church in Galatia, in other words, he's pouring into the lives of these Christians. They keep referring to the apostles, and they keep contending with him, and he keeps contending with the truth. And he doesn't ask them for anything, and he serves them. And and the amazing thing about the apostle Paul is he would have possessed today what would be the equivalent of multiple doctorate degrees. He spoke many languages. And prior to being the apostle Paul, he was Saul. And he was in line to take over the priesthood in the temple. He was educated under the highest of authorities within Jerusalem. His life was on a trajectory of great success and financial blessing. And within a nanosecond, he finds himself impoverished. His address is every jail in every city throughout Every area that his journeys took him. Not just jail to find his address at the local prison, but before they'd put him in prison, they'd kick him through the streets like a soccer ball and leave him for dead. His wife left him. He was of the Sanhedrin, and, and you had to be married, I believe. Sadducee or Sanhedrin? One of them had to be married. He was of both. Pharisee, and his wife left him. He let her go. She wasn't compelled to have to stay. She didn't agree. He remained celibate and single. And he gave his life and would ultimately be martyred. You want to talk about starting behind everyone else in opportunity. Everyone gets to take steps forward with all of their financial blessings and all of their possessions. They're way ahead of him, and he starts at the back because not only do the Jews reject him, so do all the Christians. Nobody likes this guy. Any town he goes through, he's despised and hated, and any church he invests in, they always ridicule him because he's not an apostle. He said, 14 years ago, I was taken up. I labored over that concept 14 years ago. And then I saw here in Acts chapter 9, and it triggered for me. This is is when Paul's life went from being Saul to being Paul. Saul killed Christians. He's the guy that killed Christians. This was his calling. He'd been given orders from the temple to go hunt them down throughout all the empire, find them and destroy them, separate their families and obliterate them. He was the one who held the cloaks when Stephen, the very first martyr, the very first sermon he gave. Stephen was the one who reconciled the Hellenistic Jews with the Hebraic Jews. He preached his first sermon. They gnashed their teeth. They tied him to a post and they began to stone him with big stones as they throw it at his face as his neck was tied to the post and his hands were tied behind his back. And so they could get a good running start to really throw a stone right into his, his cranium. They had to take their coats off and they would lay them with Saul who would advocate for the stoning of this man. And he consented to it. He was the one who orchestrated it. And he watched, and as Stephen was being stoned, he said, Father, forgive them. It was much like Christ. He was glowing. He saw Christ standing at the right hand of the Father. Paul was just furious, I should say. Saul was furious. And he finally just steps it up. Interestingly enough, here we are in Acts chapter 9, previous, at the beginning of the book of Acts, Acts of the Apostles, better yet, Acts of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is crucified, buried, and resurrected. He says to his disciples, go to this place and wait for the promise of the Father, which is what they call Pentecost when the Holy Spirit falls. And they're up there and they're waiting. And Peter, remember Peter? Matthew 16, Caesarea Philippi, Pope Peter, Apostle Peter, Super Peter, He's the one at Caesarea Philippi when Jesus says, who do men say that I am? They say, some say you're John the Baptist, others say Jeremiah. He says, but who do you say that I am? Peter stands up and he says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus turns to him and he says, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. Upon this rock, as he's pointing to Peter, upon this Petros, I will build my ecclesia. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound. And then he lays it out. Our Catholic brothers and sisters say this is papal authority and and Peter's the first pope. Whatever your belief is, what we do realize is that guy nailed it at Caesarea Philippi. Jesus was all in. Gives him great blessing and honors him in front of the other apostles. Peter. 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 Now Christ is crucified. Peter's the one who denies him. Jesus said, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. He says, I'll go to jail. I'll even die for you. Next thing you know, Peter's denying him. He's saying, I swear to God, I don't know him. The rooster crows. Peter wept bitterly. He finds himself in John 21 on the shores of Galilee, just dejected and lost. When the Lord resurrected, he told the women, go and tell Peter because he knew Peter needed to hear it. The great apostle, the great pope, the, the great saint Peter is the one who denied him. The Lord restores him on the shores of Galilee. He says, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? Three times, three times he denied him, three times he asked him and loved him. Restored completely. And next you see Peter, who was once afraid of man, is no longer afraid of man and now he's standing in front of thousands proclaiming Christ and he's fearless. He's fearless. But like with all of us, we have our seasons of success and our seasons of failure. The Bible says that the fear of man is a snare. And good preachers can become bad preachers when they start to concern themselves with what, others, with what others think. You're not going to keep butts in the chair if you talk like that. Your church will decline. Giving will stop. I remember hearing all that. Don't run for office. And you know what? I ran for office. I started getting political. People left. That was exactly what they said. They left. I used to say The largest church in the Conejo is a church of the people who used to go here. <laughs> and I understood that. I didn't ask him to come. I didn't ask him to leave. It's okay. I just know what I'm supposed to do. And, and when I started concerning myself with that, oh, talk about depression. That, that's, a, that's a rat wheel, hamster wheel you'd never get off of. I finally just thought... I, I can't, I'm not gonna be a people pleaser. I, I can't help it if you like me or dislike me. I, th- I got a dog, he loves me. <laughs> my wife, 99.8% of the time loves me. The other time she's just, she still loves me but she's really irritated with me and rightfully so. My kids, when I have money in my pocket, they love me. <laughs> I'm kidding, I have precious kids and grandkids. Well, my point is the fear of man is a snare. And you start to lose your way because you start worrying about budgets and baptisms and buildings and notoriety and you get lost in things. And Peter, he was on fire in Caesarea Philippi. But then he gets into a mess and he comes into conflict with Paul, but not before Paul comes into conflict with the Lord. The Lord takes This evil man. And by the way, when they all gathered waiting for Pentecost, and and the Lord said, go and wait. Don't do anything. Just wait for the promise of the Father. Don't do anything. Wait for the promise of the Father. They get up there. Peter reads the scripture and says, another shall take his place he says Judas committed suicide there's only 11 of us now we have the 12 pillars of the church we need to have another apostle and they draw straws nowhere in the scripture does it declare that they pull it out they pick some guy we don't know anything about him never heard anything about him he may have been a good guy he may have done some good things but apostle no and they pick him and God's like I didn't ask you to pick apostle I said wait you did the right thing the wrong way Because he already had an apostle picked. It's that guy over there killing Stephen. He's the next apostle. They're like, what? That guy? Yeah, give it time. He who began a good work is faithful to complete it. I got that guy's number. I'm going to have him reeled in. You're going to see. God's going to do amazing things. That guy's going to be fearless. He's going to be cut from the cloth that is necessary for someone who is sent. They couldn't fathom that. Lord, you don't understand. That guy's killing Christians. And so they took matters into their own hands. They picked this guy, Matthias. Ah, I don't know what he did. Nice guy, I'm sure. We'll get to heaven. He'll be like, I know. It was Paul all along. But hey, I didn't mind the title. And so this all happens where... Paul is now persecuting Christians. Peter has taken matters into his own hands. He's made a mess of it. And the Christians are waiting for Pentecost. The spirit falls. Church starts to grow. Saul is breathing threats. He kills Stephen. It's a mess. And now he's going to Damascus to kill more Christians. Acts chapter 9. Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogue of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way. It was a derogatory term for Christianity because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. It was Jesus is saying, I and no other. It's not I am a way. He said, I'm the way. It's exclusive. So you can can either say Jesus is one of three things. He's either Lord, he's a liar, or he's a lunatic. Because he said that. I didn't. He did. And so they called it, condescendingly, the way. And he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. And suddenly, a light shone around him from heaven. And then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, Why are you persecuting me? I got a kick out of that because this is where we get in the English language, the vernacular, fall off your high horse. Ever heard that one? It's biblical. Problem is, it's not biblical. This is the depiction of Saul being hit by the Lord. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he falls off his high horse. Falls off his high horse. Actually, the one on the right's a little bit more clear because nowhere in the text is there a horse. There may have been horses around, but he didn't have one. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul is, in a sense, almost an atheist. He refuses to embrace this Messiah who's fulfilled all the messianic prophecies. He's on a fast course to wealth and fame, and he's the next in line to be the big kahuna. Life is good. Married, money in his pocket, notoriety in his community, things are going really, really, really well. And all of a sudden, he's knocked to the ground. God says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And now he becomes an agnostic, verse five. He said, Who are you, Lord? I have a lot of respect for agnostics, not a lot for atheists. Atheists, you got to shelve your brain. You're like, I don't believe God exists. And you're like, you're looking at the order of the universe. You're saying seasons and babies born in the intricacy of human cells. You're like, yeah, there's not a God. There's not a designer. You're like, really, what turnip truck did you fall off of? But an agnostic is, yeah, there's a designer. I don't know who he or she is. Well, i got news for you. There's two great laws in the universe. There is a God and you're not him. Did you just say him? I did. I did, yeah, because the scripture says that, and that's true. Oh, so I imagine you say there's just two genders. Yeah, I do, because science. But an agnostic is interesting. They're agnosis, without knowledge. And so Saul says, who are you, Lord? I know you're God, but I don't know who you are. And for those of you who've come to church for the first time, welcome. You know there's a God, you just don't know who he is and it's gonna be answered for you in this very next statement. Look at this, all of us together, look at this. The Lord said to him, ready? I am Jesus. Let's go home. Done deal. You call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Who's the Lord? Jesus. I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. Is it hard for you to kick at the goad? You're fighting me. And I'm the one... That you say you're defending and you're doing anything but defending me. So trembling and astonished, he said, Lord. And I love this because now he's a believer. He says, Lord, what do you want me to do? Let me tell you two words that don't go together. Ready? No, Lord. <laughs> they don't go together. Because he's not Lord if you're saying no. The only thing you say to the Lord is yes, Lord. And I love Paul's response. This is a a great response. Lord, what do you want me to do? I get it. The Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. And they just, what in the world? It's crazy to them. Then Saul arose from the ground and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. Now he hears a voice and a lot of other things, but he can't see anybody. He's like in a different realm. And now they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus because he sees stuff, but he doesn't see them and they're having to lead him. But he doesn't say he doesn't see anything. He just doesn't see anyone. And he was there three days without sight, neither ate nor drank. And then this is the kicker, verse 29. Verse 29. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. Hellenists and Hebraic Jews, it'd be kind of like conservative and reformed or orthodox. Um, Hellenists were more worldly and... And had been influenced by the Hellenistic culture. Hebraic Jews were a little more conservative. And they would contend. And he's contending with the Hellenist Jews. And now they attempt to kill him. And he, he, knows, he knows the Torah better than they do. I mean, this guy's got multiple doctorates. He, he's memorized Psalm 119 since he's a child. The guy's brilliant. And he quotes scripture verbatim. And now they try to kill him. And when the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea. And sent him out to Tarsus. And you're going, where's Tarsus? It's not the end of the earth, but you can see it from Tarsus. He's, in, he's at the outer reaches of the empire, and they send him. Now, we don't hear of this guy again for almost 14 years. Remember that, 14 years? Remember anything? Corinthians 12, we read that, Second Corinthians 12. Paul was a, sum, Saul was a somebody and for 14 years they call them wasted years but they weren't they were anything but wasted they were good and necessary years because this is where he became Saul the nobody. You know what the nobody is? The ego's gone. That's the one thing that separates you from a relationship with God is your ego. You know what ego is? Self-preservation. You, you've, you've become accustomed to saying, no, Lord, you're the center of your universe. Wherever you are, that's where here is. We're all at one stage in our life or another, we're all enamored with ourselves. And then when we get older, we start to realize this clock's ticking and I'm running out of heartbeats. My chest is tight. I don't feel well. What's beyond this life? We start to struggle with our mortality we start wondering why these laws of nature and metaphysical concepts and love and right and wrong and liberty and freedom and where do these principles come from and we wrestle with this and it's in that stage that we're knocked off our high horse or we're knocked to the ground and God reveals himself to us and he says why are you fighting me I've come to set you free and you're like Lord Lord What do you want me to do? And this is where we come to the conclusion this afternoon. Paul writes to the church at Galatia, and he's going to take on Peter. The great apostle Peter, the first pope. The one at Caesarea Philippi that Jesus elevated above the others. The apostle that picked the 12th apostle and didn't pick Paul. And Paul begins his letter to the church at Galatia, and he says, Paul, an apostle, in case, Peter, you were thinking otherwise. I'm an apostle not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then he says this, not once but twice. He says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel which is not another gospel but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ but even if we or an angel from heaven preach another gospel to you then what we have preached to you let him be accursed peter listen you want to preach another gospel let you be accursed okay so you're the great apostle but you be accursed he doesn't just say it once he says verse 9 As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Not once, but twice. I'm serious about this. And I don't care if you don't want to call me an apostle or you don't recognize what God did in Tarsus for 14 years or that He delivered me from Saul to Paul and I'm the one who was supposed to take Judas's place. I don't care if you don't recognize it. The the fear of man is a snare. I know what God gave me is what I'm called to do. Whether you acknowledge it or not, the more I love you, the less I'm loved. You can reject me, make fun of me, I don't care. But do not preach another gospel or you'll be accursed. Verse 10, for do do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Bondservant means doulos. It means under rower on a Roman galley. I am kicked through the streets like a soccer ball. I live in prisons I I build my own tents and I don't even ask you for a dime. And everywhere I go, I do it because I love you. I've given up anything that the world has to offer and I've counted it all dung. And I don't count my life dear to myself. And if there be no resurrection, I'd be of all men most pitied. I live to set you free. And I don't care what you think of me. I don't care if you recognize what God has ordained on my life, it doesn't matter. And I will stand upon this gospel and give my entirety of of my life to it. I've counted everything that I've lost as gain. I don't care if I was second in command. I don't care if all these things were awaiting me. I want you free. Love your neighbors yourself. That means you want them to be free. You serve them. You serve them to the point where you love them and they hate you. Just like Moses setting the captives free in the wilderness and they cried out to God because they were enslaved and God sent Moses and Moses contends with Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, who is God that I should obey him? And then Pharaoh says, I'm gonna show you Moses that government is greater than God. And he doubles the brick demands and reduces the materials. And the people complain to Moses. Moses is the instrument of the Lord, the 10 plagues come. The entire Egyptian army is vanquished in the Red Sea, and even when they were at the Red Sea, the people complained, you've sent us out here to die. Moses, every step of the way, looks at them and says, I came here to set you free. And all you do is yell at me. You don't want to contend for liberty. You want someone else to do the fighting for you. And I'll give my life. And you know what? He does. To the point where Moses doesn't even get to see the, he doesn't even get to enter the promised land. Because he finally got so tired of their whining that he struck the rock when he was supposed to speak to it. And you're like, wow. Man, Moses gave up a lot. He did. And that's why when you go to any western nation throughout the world where they are ruled by law, you're going to see the Ten Commandments and Moses, the lawgiver, He changed the world and never had a friend. And the ones he loved, they hated him. And Paul knows this. He says, I'm a bondservant of Christ. I'm an under rower. I'm a dual loss. I don't seek to please men. For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. I I wouldn't be able to live this life if I was here to make you happy. Verse two, or chapter two, Paul says, "Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face, because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. I was a Jew with the Jews, and I was a Gentile with the Gentiles. And that's what Peter did, and he played both sides of the coin. And he said, look, you need to be circumcised. It's Jesus and circumcision. It's Jesus and the law. It's Jesus and. No, it's it's not Jesus and anything. You're saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God. God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And Paul contends with the great apostle Peter, and here's a picture of it. And Paul looks like Sean Connery. <laughs> you know, Peter, I'm contending right to your face now. When Cortez went to the New World, <laughs> and he contends with Peter, and he says, "You can be the first pope, you can be whatever you want, but the reality is, you're wrong. It's not Jesus and anything." We're all sinners saved by grace and the ground at the foot of the cross is level and there's no, there's no race baiting here. It's not Jew and Gentile. Galatians 2, for if I build again those things, Paul writes, which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. I, ego, ego, I, ego, self-preservation, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Look, Peter, I, I, I don't have an ego anymore. You don't, you don't have to acknowledge me as an apostle. You can make fun of me. The churches can deny me. But I will not stand here and allow you to add anything to salvation by grace through faith. And I don't care who you are. I may not have been at Caesarea Philippi when he said, Upon this rock I will build my ecclesia. I may not have been there with all you guys but I know God made me an apostle and I'm contending with you and I planted that church in Galatia. I planted that church in Corinth and you're not coming in and telling them they need to be circumcised and follow the law to be deep about uh, abiding Christians. And he says this, foolish Galatians, foolish means, ready? Shallow in analysis. You have been suckered with critical race theory. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Did you have to earn it? Did you have to go and, and do reparations before you could be accepted in the body of Christ? Do you have to bend and genuflect to, to those who, who, who are clear or those who have opaque color or those who are milky brown or those? Is, is that where we are? Is that in the gospel? You're saved by grace through faith. Are you so foolish, shallow in analysis, having begun in the spirit that you're now being made perfect in the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain and then almost finished, for you are the sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And here it is. Here's where he dismisses critical race theory. This is what he says to Peter to his face. And he shuts it down. He says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Forgetting what is behind. Striving for what is ahead. Taking hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of you. You're a new creature in Christ. You've been cleansed. Your sin has been cast as far as the east is from the west. To be remembered no more, and there's no addition to that. There's no genuflecting, there's no race reparations, none of that. Repent and be saved. Done deal. Paid in full. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise, because through him many generations would be blessed, many nations. And that's the seed of Abraham, the father of faith. And then, last two things. This is Acts 15. Certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you were circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you can't be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small discussion and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question, where he contended with Peter And he said, now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we'll be saved in the same manner as they. Jesus said, come to me. All you were burdened and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden, it is light. And now they want to say, no, you got a yoke, you got to carry. You got to get circumcised, you got to follow the laws, Jesus and. No, it isn't. That's from the pit of hell. And it's wrong. And here's the answer Remember when I told you what Alice thought the thorn in the side was? The thorn in the side that allowed Paul to be so bold and to stand in front of Peter and to yield his life, and to go from city to city discarded, and rejected, and beaten, and humiliated. You know how God prepared him? He buffeted him, and the way he did is, the thorn in Paul's side was the fact that nobody ever acknowledged he was an apostle. That hurts a human's ego. And Paul said, I got over it. I already gave it all up. And now I know that I do what I do because number one, I love the Lord and number two, I love you. And even if you hate me in return, I want you free. I want you free. Even if that means me being imprisoned, I want you free. I'll leave you with this very famous man, Manning Johnson, he was a communist, he was a black communist in the 30s, he actually went to the Soviet Union, and he wanted to learn of Marxism, and bring it back to, the, to America, he was so disillusioned with what he saw, that he wrote a book when he came back called Color, Communism, and Common Sense... He changed. He wrote, The outstretched hand was the new United Front the policy of the Communist International applied all over the world. It was the extension of the hand of friendship and cooperation to the church, while in the other hand holding a dagger to drive through the heart of the church. In other words, it was a ruse whereby they could get the churches involved in United Front activities with communists so that the communists could bring the religion element in America their anti-religious program anti-religious means another gospel let it be accursed critical race theory read about it it has nothing to do with christianity in other words he writes to educate the masses in the revolutionary program and policy of the communist party to prepare them ideologically and organizationally for the overthrow of the government of the united states in other words What he was saying is that if you cannot take over the churches by frontal attack, take them over by the use of deception and guile and trickery, another gospel. Shallow an analysis, foolish Galatians. And that is exactly what the communists practice in order to infiltrate and subvert the church and prepare them for the day when they would come under the hierarchical and authoritarian control of Moscow. They want to pit us against one another based on immutable traits that we have no control over. There is no one in this room I hate. I don't care what color skin you have. I don't care about your socioeconomic status. We are one in Christ. If I've offended you, forgive me. Tell me what it is, I'll restore it. But in the meantime, it's time that we unify and quit allowing a hierarchical system to be infiltrating the church to divide us and to educate our children in our Christian schools. Are you kidding me? I understand if secular schools are doing it, but I'm gonna say this to you parents. You have been entrusted to the stewards of your children's life. If the school they're going to is teaching this garbage, get them out now. The nation is losing this. A walk with Christ does not bring bondage or a yoke or a heaviness or a burden that you carry because of an immutable trait. Where Christ is, there's one thing. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's one thing. That's how you know you're in a place where the presence of the Lord resides. And that is this. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. God bless you. You're free. You're free. The reason why you're free is because Christ has paid the penalty for your sin. He has cast as far as the east is from the west to be remembered no more. You're a debtor to no man. The Bible says, have no debt but to love. And what you do, you do willingly. You can never earn that salvation. He gave it to you. You observe the law not to be saved, but because you are saved. You do this because you want to bless people. You stand, even though they hate you, you do it anyways because you love them. You love your neighbor. You're willing, like the Apostle Paul, you love them, but you're unloved. But you do it anyways. Because for generations to come, they need to know the freedom that we've enjoyed And it will not happen in our lifetime that we're going to allow the infiltration and the pitting of us against one another based on immutable traits. This is America. It is the freest nation in the history of the world. And we'll stand upon that. And we'll proclaim it from the churches and we won't allow this garbage to infiltrate. And so may God bless you. Stand with me, will you? The reason why we're free because of one word in the greek to paid in full jesus had been beaten so badly by those he came to love that his tongue was swollen his face was swollen they pulled his beard out of his face they had cut it and shredded his back with a cat of nine tails they had pierced his hands and his feet they had pierced his side and as his blood, blood was pouring out and he was dying of thirst and his tongue was swollen, he asked that his mouth be moistened with the sob so that he could loosen his tongue to say the final word. It's a hard one to say when your tongue's swollen and dry. He didn't drink what they put in his mouth. He just swirled it and said this, to die, paid in full. Your sins are forgiven. You're a new creature in Christ. Come to me, all you are and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. There's no addition to that. It's been paid in full. Jesus did it. Worship him. Honor him. Live for him. God bless you guys. You're free.